This is what we do. This is and what we. This, this is, is how we're we... opening it. <laughs> I could, I could bring up uh, how well Rebecca's doing with Final Fantasy VII, using well. uh, <laughs> using a great um, Mysteria on wind, magnify, magnify on wind. You're using magnify on wind. Magnify on wind. Why did you well, do not that? Anymore. <laughs> not anymore. Not anymore now. Jeez. Oh, Welcome. <laughs> Welcome back to the Drift Space. We are the Drifters taking up space in your ear. I am G. I'm Dave. I'm JR. And I am Rebecca. And we are... <laughs> we are the Drift Space! Good night, ladies and gentlemen! We are giving Rebecca a hard time for how she places her materia in the Final Fantasy VII remake. Rebecca, how, how far are you in that game, though? Uh, I'll have you know, I just finished Chapter 9. Oh, what? Wait, oh, oh my. Activist. Is everyone doing okay? I know we, we it's been a little while since we've done this, and last time we were talking about the uh, the pandemic and how it was affecting us. We we, we still alive? <laughs> no, no. Clearly, clearly I'm dead. <laughs> well, I don't have the Rona. Dave, better news. Please. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, you've you've uh, made quite uh, quite a few strides lately with uh, pizza and parsecs lately, and you're actually part of a, a network that's called Red Five. Correct. Okay. Pizza and parsecs is now part of the Red Five network, which is a collection of other podcasts that are anywhere between you know your Star Wars or we have another uh, nerd podcast in there as well. It's just a community and we all support each other. We push each other's material out and help promote it. And it's just a really solid group. So we are very grateful to be a part of it. That's awesome. I also want to shout out the, the way you apply to Liv's trivia during the Harry Potter episodes. And oh, I God. really sincerely hope more Fast and Furious will be reaching. <laughs> <laughs> Via Harry Potter. <laughs> I want I want everyone to know here, Reb Jr. that I paused uh, one of his last episodes, the uh, one last Harry Potter episodes, in the middle of one of his ridiculous rants. That was actually the plot for Fast and Furious. Are we talking about the uh, Hello Amora, where it comes yes, from the rocks? Yeah, it's where she asks me a question about Harry Potter, and I tell her how it is, and then she tells me what her theory is. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I'm familiar with the game. And so I, I paused the podcast because I was laughing so hard and had to call him up to thank him for such an incredible story he was weaving with the Harry Potter universe. <laughs> So anyway, Pizza and Parsecs, if you haven't checked them out, please do. They're a lot of fun. But today we're going to get on our topic here about Star Trek, the motion picture, the first film in our series where we're covering the Star Trek movie franchise. To start off, I guess we, we have to talk about the original series for a second. The original Star Trek television series was canceled not once, but twice. Initially saved by fan mail for a third and final season, interest in the series was kept alive by fan conventions and magazines. The idea for a Star Trek movie had actually been kicked around since 1967, but it wasn't until 1975 that the creator of the series, Gene Roddenberry, signed a contract to do a feature film. And in 1976, Paramount decided that they didn't want to do a feature film. They, want, they wanted it to be a TV series instead. They called it Star Trek Phase Two. Thirteen episodes were written, but the project eventually morphed back into a motion picture production again. But we later saw those 13 episodes through Star Trek The Next Generation, including the movie characters William Decker and Ilea, who ended up becoming William Riker and Deanna. The success of Star Wars and the arrival of Close Encounters of the Third Kind helped convince producers to upgrade the TV pilot into a full-blown movie. So the pilot script called In Thy Name featured a mysterious object traveling the universe in search of its creator and a refit enterprise must intercept it. 
The script was rewritten into the motion picture, and the new TV sets were retooled for the film. A film about a monolithic entity looking for its creator. Two and a half years after the Enterprise's five-year mission, the since-promoted Admiral Kirk takes command of an upgraded Enterprise from Captain William Decker to intercept this energy cloud. After getting the band back together, the Enterprise's crew spends a great deal of time looking perplexed at a giant blue screensaver and ignoring Dr. McCoy's insinuation of spanking a childlike machine larger than Orson Welles. So, (laughs) I... (laughs) I'm still hungry. (laughs) Well, he did play Unicron. The, the, right. original, <laughs> the original Transformers film. So I'm aware, I, I know of JR's thoughts on the film, and we'll we'll get to that, and we'll get to mine, and I think he knows mine. But, <laughs> but Dave, I don't think we've ever dipped into this film together, and I know Rebecca hadn't actually seen it before, and I'm eager to hear, Rebecca, what, what are your thoughts on the picture? Well... Actually, that's not true. I have seen this before. Uh, okay. Actually, this is the second time I've seen it. The first time, um, it was well, it was a bit of a blur. So it was a good thing I did watch it the second time because, well, let's face it, it was kind of slow. Yes, very slow. And <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you my thoughts on the movie after watching this massive, seemingly endless abstract buffet of visual effect galore i must crucially implore anyone to not and i repeat to not watch this movie on while on drugs <laughs> drinking as long as you don't take shots on the number of times you see the enterprise on screen you're good but in all seriousness <laughs> wow <laughs> but, that is a beautiful ship i will have you know it's beautiful the first time you see it, but after the 50th time, ah. You're tired of it. You just want to. I beg to differ. <laughs> I could watch this ship tow trash for five hours. Yeah, all right. I can admire a nice car for about 15 minutes, but after what? A normal Trek episode is roughly 45 minutes. When you make a two hour movie. Looking at the Enterprise, you get a little bored. <laughs> I disagree, but carry on, Rebecca. While it was a good and well-written story, it, like you said before, it took just way too long. It kept dragging on and on with those effects. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that happens when you take a 45-minute episode and put it into a two-hour movie. However, there's this one scene I did enjoy and felt emotion was when Kirk and Scotty were flying towards the Enterprise, and the look on Kirk's face when he sees the Enterprise, you can clearly see the longing and desire. He was finally reunited with his one true love, and that's how I look at this movie. Aside from the minutes of seizure-inducing acid trips, it's a love story. (laughs) There's... There's more than one sense of romance within this movie. Not the kind of mushy, stupid, mindless Hallmark movie romance. The real romance. Real love. And real love takes a lot of hard work. Here are some examples. The love between Kirk and the Enterprise. When he finally feels he's reunited with his ship, but later finds out that his ship has some new components or new attributes, he's not familiar with it anymore. He gets frustrated with Decker, Bones, and even with himself for rushing into things to try and make things the way they used to be, but they're not. But he later sets his pride aside and allows Decker to assist him in order to understand the Enterprise better, to understand his love better, uh, communication-wise. Another example is the love between Ilea and Decker, though mostly I think it's like unspoken love. I mean, you get a scene of how they know each other and many more scenes of Decker just blatantly staring at Ilea for extra screen time. But it's the equivalency of... (laughs) (laughs) I think it's the equivalency of innocent childlike love and curiosity, like someone on their very first date or simply just their very first interaction with one another. When someone truly knows he or she has found the love of their life, they're speechless and can't stop staring at something so beautiful and mesmerizing, which pretty much goes back to Decker's long stares. Endless stares. My god. And finally, this is my favorite, um, the love between Kirk and Spock. Out of all the people Kirk was the, was the most happy to see again was Spock. This concept is like a 
like a close friend whom you haven't seen in years sort of love. At the same time, it was self-sacrificing and self-searching. Spock was working hard on Vulcan to achieve Kolinar, the purging of all emotions. However, he declined the final steps because he felt that some, something was wrong. Something or someone was calling him back to the Enterprise, so he leaves behind his home planet's tradition to reunite with his best friend and to find that other consciousness, that other voice that keeps calling him. When he does, Spock learns that the thing he's been searching for and has always has always been there for a long time, his friendship with Kirk, and that's made Spock whole again. So to me, the basic core of this movie is love, something V'ger could not understand nor grasp. And the sad truth is that there are people out there who have never known love and are maybe even afraid of love for all the wrong reasons. So when it's introduced properly with childlike innocence, not rushing into things, searching for something more and realizing that it's always been there the whole time, then people begin to realize what real love is all about. Love is not just a feeling. It's, dare I say it, the final frontier. <laughs> or better yet, un undiscovered country. That's one of my favorites. Yeah. It's interesting you mention, you know, the scene where Kirk, where Scotty is zooming Kirk around the Enterprise and we get a look at it. That's probably my favorite scene in the film. The movie was directed by Robert Wise, who is an excellent director. Uh, he did he did The Sound of Music, West Side Story, The Andromeda Strain, and my favorite of his films was actually the original The Day the Earth Stood Still. And while I'll be the first to say he had better screenplays for each of those movies. I think Star Trek The Motion Picture is an example of a somewhat poorly scripted movie being saved by a fantastic directorial vision. And the scene where Scotty flies the shuttle around the Enterprise at Dry Dock so Kirk can get a good look at it, that's my favorite scene in the movie because a lot of people will point to it as a scene to pad the runtime. But look what Wise did with it. He romanticized the ship with all those close-up shots of the hull, shuttles flying by to rebuild it, astronauts working outside of it. And then you have Jerry Goldsmith's incredible operatic score probably the best score in a Star Trek movie, idealizing and glamorizing this optimistic look at the future. Now, in contrast to the Enterprise flyby, I think the V'ger flyby definitely goes on way too long, but the Enterprise flyby was a majestic look at this sort of optimistic future. And I think you, you hit the nail on the head. Kirk's love for the Enterprise is part of that great optimism that we see. So Dave, what did you think of the picture? So I have thoughts. <laughs> what are those i'll start by saying that i just want to echo what g said about jerry goldsmith and what he did is nothing short of absolutely remarkable he kind of reinvented and transformed this original score into something like for me even more iconic the swelling emotion behind that theme and what he was able to accomplish was absolutely beautiful and i that's probably one of my favorite parts of this movie that and one theme which i'll get to reb you mentioned Kolinar. When we open with Spock preparing for the ritual of Kolinar, which purges him of all remaining emotion, it was one of those moments that while it wasn't entirely essential to the plot, meaning like it's not something that really serves to drive the story in a significant way, it's one of those aspects that Trek continues to provide us, which brings me kind of to a blanket statement that applies to Trek in general. Star Trek firmly establishes cultural lore and mythology throughout this entire franchise, which is one of the things that I truly love about Trek. More often than not, like you get these explorations and Trek peppers these cultural studies throughout every episode and every movie that we see. Oftentimes it's the entire focus of what we're exploring too, you know, to seek out new life and new civilizations and the cultural studies behind that. I just love that aspect of it. And while it wasn't like entirely critical to the plot, I felt like I really needed to call that out. The thing is, I disagree with you there. I think it was essential to the plot. Spock was about to take a journey that would leave him completely emotionless, like forever. Um, but can you imagine him if he did take Holinar and went back to the Enterprise? I mean, he, he would not be the same, even though Bones wouldn't know the difference, but Kirk would. Throughout the series, he did show a few emotions throughout the original series, and 
Spock's self-sacrifice of what he's known, uh, of his home planet and his traditions, to go back into space, to the Enterprise, to Kirk, was quite a big step for him, I think. I agree that as far as character development goes, like this was a big thing for Spock, and I really like that they did that for Spock. All I'm saying is that in the context of this movie, it didn't really, it wasn't something that really needed to be explored. Like we could have just had Spock somewhere else and then he senses something. He didn't okay. have to be going through Kolinar, you know, this this ritual, this this cultural tradition for the Vulcans. You know, it didn't have to be that, but it was a choice. And I love that. I'm going to have to parrot what Rebecca said. I do think it had a lot to do with the story in that when he sensed V'ger on Vulcan, he paused, he didn't accept the end of that tradition, and he went back to the Enterprise. And when he went back to the Enterprise, he was far more cold to the crew than he normally is. Instead of calling Kirk Jim, like he normally does, he sticks with Captain. Uh, he doesn't really acknowledge anyone on the bridge as soon as he swaggers in there with answers on how to fix the engines and whatnot. He's he's a, a colder personality, and him finding V'ger and him melding with V'ger later on helped him realize what a mistake that is. Because I think he, one of the reasons he's so cold and hardened is because he failed the tradition of Kolinar. He, he failed in doing that. He couldn't purge all emotion and please his ancestors and whatnot. So he, he's just very stagnant, very cold toward, toward everyone because he was so close then he didn't get to it, but he's he's going to kind of like parade himself around as if reaching that end would have made him better. But then he merges with V'ger for a little bit, and he finds himself realizing that these cold emotions are a hindrance when you aren't capable of them at all. Because he he he's uh, on the medical bay bench next to Jim, and he holds Jim's hand. And he says, "This this meaning V'ger can't experience it." And he realizes that, you know, the ability to go back to that emotion is so important and so human and so needed and so necessary. Maybe that's not so much story, but character arc. But I do think it factors into what we learn about both the characters, V'ger, which is very much a massive point in the story. That's a good point. I honestly hadn't thought of it that way. Building off what G said, I have my own thoughts about the movie. However, my eyes were open on a second viewing of it. And I have to say, I believe this is more of Spock's movie than it is Kirk's movie. Because like G said, at the beginning of the movie, we see Spock in training to give up all emotion. What stops him is sensing V'ger. And V'ger is Voyager. Voyager was the ship that brought up stuff from Earth, correct? That was the, that was the name of the ship? Voyager was a probe that we launched in 1976. Voyager 1, Voyager 2. Uh, yeah. yeah. Voyager 2 was the one that had like the recordings of Earth and human activity and stuff like that, correct? Yeah, greetings and whatnot. Greetings, and, exactly. And so this probe was meant to go out and learn as much as it could and then come back. Exactly. When Spock senses this, it's much more of a... Like, once it hit me, I was like, why didn't I see this before? This is such a brilliant moment. While he's giving up his feelings, what's calling out to him are feelings. He's saying, don't give up your humanity. And when he comes back and he's so cold to everybody, he's trying to find himself again. Not so much in the logical sense, but what brought him to the ship to begin with. What the experience is he's had on the ship with the people he's grown to care about so while it takes a very long time for us to get there <laughs> very long time spock regains his humanity when he mind melds with that he does realize that he can't be a hundred percent logical he's got to have that what makes him him like I said, this is after a second viewing, but I gotta say, this is actually a very brilliant movie for Spock. People will argue Rathacon and uh, Search for Spock are, you know, movies about him, but this this movie is so much more than about the character. It's kind of like a plea for humanity to, like, don't be so cold. Open yourself up to new experiences, and that's the takeaway I actually got from this. 
I don't know if that agree anybody agrees with that, but I think it was a beautiful sentiment. Yeah, no, I think JR is onto something here. There's a definite contrast between Spock and V'ger because what Spock feels is an entity searching for the exact opposite of what he's searching for at the very beginning of the movie. V'ger is searching for, and I'll get into this more later, but V'ger is essentially searching for something so he can feel, where Spock is searching for something so he can't feel. And then he has to meld with V'ger to realize the desire to not feel is pretty silly. And he needs that. He needs that to to care about his his friends and his family and whatnot. It's a good point. Like I said, I love that they actually did go into exploring that side. I love Spock in this. It was awesome. I hadn't considered the essentialness, though. So I'm glad that I have you guys to set me straight when I'm wrong. <laughs> it's what we're here for. <laughs> we're 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 boosting that 70 percent from pizza and parsecs dave that's what we're here for thank you (laughs) at any rate so i have some issues with the motion picture first and foremost and this may seem superficial and that's because it is but kirk and his club bed get up (laughs) (laughs) can we talk about this Like, what is happening? Is is he the captain of the love boat? What's going on? When when did we go from slick uniforms to pajama day at high school? You know what's funny about that is they were initially going to use the uniforms for the TV show Star Trek Phase 2, which looked a lot like the uniforms from the original series. But director Robert Wise, once he came on board, he didn't like the uniforms and he called them looking like, he, he said they looked too much like pajamas. And so he brought his own costume designer in to make new uniforms that still looked Look like pajamas. Like pajamas. <laughs> <laughs> so he got rid of the pajamas to put on more pajamas. Okay. Right. <laughs> That's better? And then the director for Wrath of Khan was like, you know, might want to step up on the uniform thing a bit. (laughs) Well, we'll get there, but Dave, continue. So it's been alluded to in what we talked about so far, but the dramatic sensory elements really dragged for me. You know, these dramatic takeoffs and approaches, etc. It just lingered way too long to the point where I was just sitting there like, okay, sure, it's pretty, but can we take off now? You talked about padding the runtime, G, and that's kind of what it felt like for me at times. It felt like a lazy worker trying to run the clock out on his shift. (laughs) (laughs) It has its place. Sure, it was super, super pretty, but let me be clear. I'm not looking for a screensaver. I could stare at this all day long too, but you know, I, this is a this is not a screensaver. It's a movie, and I I would like to have some more significant things happen, or something so, something a little bit more substantial. And I know there's layers to these scenes as well. Can you imagine somebody at work? They're watching Star Trek: The Motion Picture, and somebody walks by them and just goes, "Nice screensaver." <laughs> That's at times that's what it felt like. <laughs> and during those scenes, like they would get cut with things that really had no value add. Like there's a scene where you know we're getting this big dramatic shot on the Enterprise as it's approaching V'ger. It cuts between the approach to V'ger, so you get like a really cool shot of the Enterprise coming in slowly, and then it cuts back to the inside. Somebody walks through a door. Now back to outside. Somebody walks down a hallway. Now back to outside. (laughs) It was unnecessary. There's no reason for that. Other than to just give you a break from the screensaver. It didn't build anything up or and it didn't add anything to the story for me. What part of minutes of seizure-inducing acid trips did you not get from my notes? I mean, I could achieve the same effect by putting tinfoil in the microwave, but with less brain damage. It's kind of funny you mentioned some of these scenes that are cut with a person walking through the door back to the Enterprise, Kirk sitting in the captain's chair back to the Enterprise staring down V'ger. Robert Wise actually had a much longer cut of the film. It's funny because it's intercut a little more with more character moments. There's a lot of stuff with Chekhov and Sulu that was cut. 
Funny enough, this director's cut actually shortened the V'ger flyby that I criticized earlier. Also gave us a, a better perspective of the V'ger ship coming out of the cloud, and we see the entirety of the, the design in a single frame. I think the director's cut is stronger, but currently it's not readily available on Blu-ray which or streaming. Release the wise cut. Release the wise cut. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think 2020 could handle it, guys. You know, I just noticed something about Chekhov. He is always getting injured or mind controlled or something. I don't know. But throughout most of the movies I've seen in Star Trek, Chekhov is always getting hurt for whatever reason. And I feel really sorry for the kid. I'm like, why you got to aim on the Russian kid? I mean, I know it was the 80s and the Cold War, but I mean, come on. He's the Meg of Star Trek. That's just what I was going to (laughs) say. Poor Chekhov. (laughs) Captain, we are approaching. Shut up, Meg. (laughs) I got like two more quick points here. So one of them is kind of related to the way that things were shot. So there was a lot of lateral blurring that I noticed where you'd have two people talking and they were relatively in close proximity to the camera. And one of them would just be completely out of focus, which at times was distracting. Like I thought my glasses were fogged up. So just wanted to call that out. Another thing was that they only really seemed to do one thing at a time. Like rarely did you get something visually stunning with any sort of significant dialogue to it. You would have this absolutely gorgeous shot, but nothing else would be going on in concert with it. And then you would cut to the inside and it would be relatively, for lack of a better term, dull. But then you'd have the plot development inside of that. This was something that Robert Wise actually seemed to be very aware of, though. And according to him in some interviews that he's had and in documentaries, the lackluster editing was due to the rapidly approaching deadlines with the release date. They received a lot of the effect shots late in the game, so they had to do a lot of rushing when they were editing and weren't able to really give the film the due diligence that he typically would have. So he didn't get the chance to actually go through multiple rounds of internal reviews and test audiences and things like that. I knew that the film was rushed at the end there. In fact, I knew they were actually racing to get the final cut to the premiere. (laughs) When, at, when the premiere was scheduled and ready to go and people were arriving very early that day to set up for the premiere and the movie hadn't gotten there yet. It was like two and a half weeks before the premiere is when they got the effects shots. So yeah. they were they were in a really bad spot. Yeah. Another thing I want to bring up, I want to rewind to a comment you mentioned about some of the shots where you'd have someone in focus who's speaking and then to the left of the camera, whoever they're speaking to is also in focus, but behind them, it's a little blurry. It's like out of focus. And that was actually a very popular thing that was done in the 70s and 80s. And I can't ever decide if I like it or not. I I know that a lot of directors enjoyed playing around with it, but it didn't survive long enough to kind of go into the 90s for the most part. I know exactly what you're talking about. This is something completely different. It's where basically there's two people that you only have two people side by side. And one of them was very out of focus. I don't know how they managed to accomplish that, but it happened. And it was at times distracting for me. Interesting. Interesting. But despite these faults, it was truly a Star Trek movie it captured that same spirit, you know, overcoming the fear of the unknown, seeking to understand. And by virtue of that, it's a movie that I deeply love and enjoyed. And I feel like that aligns heavily with the plot of the film. And I want to read a qu- couple quick lines of dialogue. Decker, what would V'ger need to fulfill itself? Spock, each of us at some time in our life turns to someone, a father, a brother, a god, and asks, why am I here? What was I meant to be? V'ger hopes to touch its creator to find its answers. And then Kirk comes in and says, is this all I am? Is there nothing more? I'm going to repeat that. Is this all I am? Is there nothing more? And I feel like this is not only an assertion that this is what V'ger is seeking, but more so that Kirk himself resonates with on a fundamental level. For me, I imagine Kirk prior to this mission, you know, no longer a captain, feeling unfulfilled, more alone, 
lacking the purpose he once did as a captain and asking that same question, is being a captain all that I am? Is there nothing more? So I really liked that. And I, that's what I took away from that line of dialogue there. Jesus, Dave. <laughs> I mean, applause. Um, that, that was fantastic. You yeah. got more out of five minutes than the entire two hour and 25 minute movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, JR, what you, you have a lot of thoughts as well. So what, what did you think of the movie? So the first time I saw this movie, I was in college. I thank God that this wasn't my first introduction to Star Trek because it probably would have turned me off the, the <laughs> entire series. Like I said, on, on a second viewing, I enjoyed the movie immensely. However, when it, you see the Spock in like five minutes of the movie, why does it take another 50 minutes for him to show up? I understand that they're trying to continue Star Trek, but you don't make a two hour and 25 minute movie out of a 45 minute plot episode. I mean, it drawled on and on and on. There is 10 minutes of shot, <laughs> counter shot, shot, counter shot. With no dialogue. Absolutely none. And this was before I even went into school to learn about becoming a film editor. That I noticed this stuff. I mean, yes, it is very pretty. But this is not the movie I would have chosen for the this year. I would have been much happier watching Alien. Kramer versus Kramer. What? Help me out here. Escape from Alcatraz. There are so many better movies why did this one take so long to get through? <laughs> I I mean, the thing that just turned me off was PJ Day at school. Why does everybody have a Pez dispenser on their belt? <laughs> <laughs> well, to have some Pez. <laughs> I've always wondered what those were. No, I, I've actually figured out what they are. So when they're out in space and he uh, runs out of rocket fuel, I'm ha hoping he opens that little case, pulls out a cord, and a giant inflatable raft comes out so he can <laughs> roll himself back to the... <laughs> Don't get me wrong. There are plenty of good things about this movie, mainly being Bones. As soon as Bones shows up, I'm like, thank God the movie's saved. <laughs> what, what about Bones did you like so much? What is what's his first line or second? It's like second line where Kirk goes, There's a thing out in space, and goes, oh. turns to him and goes, Why is it always a thing? <laughs> why is why is anything we don't understand automatically a thing. called a thing? Yeah, a yeah, thing. Yes. Now, what saved me in that scene when they're flying around the Enterprise for way too long was the score. I think the score is probably the yeah. best thing that come out of that movie because it's so orchestral and then at one point it like climaxes into the original score that we know and i was just saying thank you thank you we ha i have something to walk away with this movie from thank you <laughs> yeah i think that that score was actually nominated for best score of the year as well it should have been yeah but I'm saying, like, like I said, if I had my choice of movies to watch in 1979, I would have chosen Alien over Star Trek, the motion picture, any day. <laughs> now, correct me if I'm wrong, but JJ, didn't you tell me once that when they first introduced Jerry Goldsmith's theme that the fans were upset about it and they did not like it whatsoever? This is hearsay, but there was some pushback on the fact that this was not the original Alexander Courage theme, which you actually do hear in the movie, but it wasn't the overriding theme for the entire film. Right. But of course, today everyone loves it. So, yeah, we're, we're talking about the. Uh, <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I just, I just want you to keep going with that, actually. Isn't that theme used in the end credits? It's actually used for the quieter moments of the movie. So after the Enterprise leaves Dry Dock and you have you hear Kirk's voice going over his log, you can hear the theme pop up. And there's multiple other moments like that where, where you hear it pop up as well. 
I remember. Okay, I remember now. It, except instead of using like a, a synthesizer, they use actual instruments like a trombone or what other instruments do they use? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, 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 that trombone that and only that trombone. You know, that one instrument they blow into. Oh, that narrows it down. <laughs> uh, JR, were there other, other things you want to say about the film? No, I'm good. <laughs> 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 okay, guys, I won't I won't deny that this movie is slow moving and that that's the ultimate criticism. Right, right? We 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 can all agree it's a slow film. Yes. A turtle right. moves faster. <laughs> You're right, JR. It was made from a TV pilot stretched into 2 plus hours, and that's rough. But I also think there's a lot in this film to appreciate, specifically its tone. So, I think I think the movie's atmosphere and tone work. I think the mysteriousness and sometimes outright dread of V'ger works. But I also want to move into the visual look of this film. Guys, love it or hate it, this this is a gorgeous looking movie. The the set designs, the miniature work for all the model ships, the way the camera is angled to make the Enterprise look absolutely massive, especially in that last shot of the movie. It's beautiful. And I think it really helps establish this sort of 2001 A Space Odyssey kind of feel that Wise was going for. I also loved how when the Enterprise flew into the energy cloud, we see all these crazy blanket designs that Dave affectionately calls the screensaver. These are almost curtain-like lit up ripples, and it kind of reminded me of the setting outside of Tom's ship in The Fountain. Dave, can you kind of... Yeah, I can see that. Very detailed attention to what was occupying their space. You know, and finally, to add to all that, that kind of 2001 A Space Odyssey feel are the themes of this movie. And here's the thing, like 2001 A Space Odyssey, this is science fiction with a very, very big ideas painted on a massive canvas in broad strokes. All right, we, we, we talked about how Spock is probably the most interesting character in this movie because he tends to relate to V'ger the most, and he failed to purge all emotion. And so when he comes back to the crew, he acts colder and more closed off than usual because he's disappointed himself, right? But then he tries to meld with V'ger, as we discussed, and he realizes how important it is to feel. And that's something V'ger longs for, which is the perspective I enjoy focusing on. See, a lot of the themes in the motion picture are argued to be atheistic due to the idea that humanity is their own god, and they're creating their own children represented by Voyager 6, and they're achieving a higher level of consciousness without help. I think that's an interesting and very humanistic look, but I like to look at it from V'ger's point of view. Because if you do, this movie becomes about the search for God. Dave threw out a bunch of quotes. Here's, here's my favorite quote from Spock. He said, it knows only what it needs, but like so many of us, it does not know what. Hands, how many of us have felt that way in life? As of growing up, <laughs> I'm seeing all these hands on our Zencaster right now pop up. <laughs> and so we all want to find peace and understanding, but we don't know how, only that we, we seek it out. And in the end, after a long, exhausting journey or long, exhausting life, V'ger found God and joined him. So I think that is just a beautiful theme right there and an incredible journey for that entity that we're looking at as an antagonist in this film. It's really remarkable that, you know, they were able to take this piece of technology and personify it in such a way that you get these deep themes that resonate with, you know, Spock and resonates with Kirk and resonates with the audience. So I think that's really cool. Yes, I agree. I, I think the themes are there. The execution isn't exciting enough for everyone to buy into, and I understand that. But I, I do think the broad strokes that we see are fascinating to look at. And, you know, JR mentioned, I'm glad this wasn't my first introduction to Star Trek. You know what? I have to agree with you, JR. But as I keep going back to this movie, it keeps fascinating me more and more. And I think sometimes I can't decide if I think a movie is good or bad. I just allow it to exist in this nebulous state where I f- I'm, I'm fascinated by it and become comfortable with leaving it as it is. Is it slow? Yes. But I think it works as a 2001 A Space Odyssey light kind of way. You know, if, if 2001 A Space Odyssey didn't work for you, but you really wanted it to, I think this is a well-made, if you know, watered down alternative with an equal amount of things to say. Okay, you mentioned about uh, 
how in the fountain uh, there are these religious Easter eggs and you talk about how how some people look at this movie as an atheistic way. Well, I want to dive into uh, the light that was onto Ilya's throat or the probe's throat. I think it has an interesting reason why it was on that particular spot. And I've done a little bit of research, so bear with me. Obviously, it takes place where the voice box, the recordings would be, but, and people correct me if I'm wrong about this, but in Hinduism and yoga, there are seven areas called chakras in the body. The chakra that's located at the throat deals with communication and self-expression, which I think totally fits for V'ger. In general, he's a child wanting to communicate with with his creator and express himself by joining them, but he doesn't know how to. But he eventually does, and he, he falls in love, which results to Decker and Ilya's final scene. I don't know if the writers thought of that far or deep, but it was something I find fascinating. And to answer your question, no, I'm not into yoga. I just watch a lot of Avatar The Last Airbender. <laughs> Well, that's a fascinating look at why that that's there, Reb. I hadn't I hadn't even thought about why that that was placed on the Ilea probe. Since we're kind of winding down the movie and we're getting more into uh, technology and Decker and Ilea and GJ, would you give me that quote that you said again? The 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 quote from Spock is: "It knows only what it needs, but like so many of us, does not know what." Okay. So that being said, after Decker and Ilea become one, uh, the question is arised, did we just witness a new life form? I will propose a topic of discussion for our fan. Did we just witness the birth of the Borg? I want to get into that too. Personally, I think it was V'ger that inadvertently started the Borg. Maybe not immediately, but as time went by, the machine planet wanted more of what Decker and Ilea have. So they looked for more life forms to quote-unquote join with them. And clearly went the wrong direction, so they eventually forced people into assimilations to have that wholeness feeling again. Unfortunately, that kind of behavior is never satiable or nor satisfied. So power takes the place of love, and they search for more and conquer more. Of course, I could be wrong. I'm sure there are hundreds, no, millions of Star Trek fans out there that can harshly correct me. And, <laughs> but that's just my Trekkie opinion of don't marry into that. I got very excited when I actually thought of that. Is this the first Borg sentient being? What do you guys think? Well, canonically, we don't know that just yet. There's, there's not been a, a canonical story that has said yes or no to that. And I think I think that's left wide open. Uh, there are some books that are non-canonical that say that they, they are related in some way. I really hope some sort of canonical Star Trek fiction will bring V'ger back into this and maybe explore who the machines that built it were or go into the Borg's origin, et cetera, et cetera. Because here's another thought. What if it's not the Borg that created V'ger, or what if V'ger didn't create the Borg? What if those enigmatic machines from Picard that we never see created V'ger? That crossed my mind too. Yeah, the Romulans were afraid that these sentient machines would come back and destroy oh, all Oh yeah, life, yeah, right? the ones that they were trying to call. Right, and they did call them, and we see them briefly. We see these kind of mechanical Doc Ock you know, tentacles come out of a, a wormhole somewhere. What if what if those were the the machines that built V'ger? I don't know. From the movie, I just gathered that because when they tried to open the hardware, all the systems were fried. And they did clearly state that this is from Earth. So I just thought it's been traveling in space for so long that it kind of just started picking up trash and started accumulating itself. And then circuits got fire fried. And, but that is a very good point. Well, they said that the machine planet found Voyager 6 and wanted to help it complete its mission. And so it built that massive ship to help it complete its mission thoroughly. And then it headed back to Earth. I must have missed that part between the microwaves that were in front of my face, seeing all the pretty <laughs> colors. Must have toned that part out. 
That's why you don't put foil tinfoil in the microwave. You get Star Trek the motion picture. It was it was just a topic of discussion I, I found interesting. Merging of men and machine. I like everyone's theories, but I think I will be perfectly satisfied if we never find out. I love the idea that there is still this unknown quantity out there. Hmm. It keeps things interesting and it keeps things exciting. It builds a stake. They don't know who or what this is out there. And, you know, Trek is all about the unknown. And one of the themes in this movie is, of course, the fear of the unknown. And I think it should be kept that way for me personally. Yeah, you make a good point. You know, we we have so many aliens and species in Star Trek that there's, you know, they walk by our characters every day like, oh, hey, Bob, how is planet Yargrath or whatever? The mysteriousness to some of these species and creatures out there is kind of, you know, the, the wind is really sucked out of the sails. But V'ger and whatever created it, it's a little scary, isn't it? It's kind of daunting. Yes, I also feel like it would remove the mystical, almost spiritual aspect to it. God is alluded to a lot in this, and there seems to be a yeah. lot of spiritual significance surrounding V'ger and this exploration of what V'ger is. And I think it should just kind of be left as it is. You know, part of the spirituality is having that faith and, you know, not completely knowing. Yeah. No, I completely agree. And I, I think that that really does add to the story and add to the movie. So you you have a good point there. So now that we've gotten all that out of the way, let's talk about the most important thing in all of Star Trek history. The evolution of the Klingons' ridges. <laughs> <laughs> oh. My. <laughs> oh, God. This was the first movie where we saw the ridges, isn't it? It is, yeah. They're starting to form. <laughs> They're growing <laughs> in. Evolution's taking its turn. Did you notice in this movie, they all had the same design ridges? JJ, that's racist. Wow, okay. <laughs> I just find it interesting that, you know, we, we were so used to Worf and other Klingons and whatnot having their own kind of design, forehead design, but they're all the same in this one. They hadn't like figured that out quite yet. Yeah, I have noticed that those ridges seemed a little um, uniformed. Are you saying that's part of their uniform, Rebecca? Yep. They have to paint those on every time they go out in space? Oh, yeah. Ruffles have ridges. That's my contribution. <laughs> <laughs> oh, You're welcome. <laughs> So now that we're wrapping uh, up uh, motion picture here, I think we need to move on to our poorly pitched. Last time Dave did it for us, and here was the plot synopsis he gave us. So this is a show that serves as a predecessor to a well-known franchise. We are all very familiar with it. And it centers around a morally questionable character, and we get the opportunity to explore the world along with some other familiar faces as well. We also get to explore his somewhat, at first, hidden relationship, and then people ultimately find out about it. And that relationship ultimately fails and falls to pieces because of the way that he is. It serves as a lead-in to figure out how he got to the point where in this other franchise that we know very well. Poorly pitched. Who has guesses? I have a guess. It's wrong. But who else has some solid? I have a guess. It's also wrong. <laughs> All right. Re Rebecca, do you have one? I have no idea. I'm All right. JR, I think it's it's us. You want you want to go first? You want to take this one? The Clone Wars. Okay. okay I I was thinking that and I I also stuck with Star Star Wars. Uh, it's I, it's a little too obvious. Yeah, I I think it's a little too obvious and I think mine's a little too obvious. I went with Solo. You're both wrong. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I figured as much. All right. Shocker. <laughs> Better call Saul. That was good. <laughs> wow. Oh, <laughs> gosh. <laughs> okay. Wow. I knew it was going to be something like right obscure. in front of my face. Yeah, no, no, yeah. it's not obscure. Well, it's not obscure, but yeah, coming from Dave, I wouldn't guess that. Man. Yeah, probably about two months ago, I had blown through all of Better Call Saul, and I have I absolutely loved it. And as I'm watching Clone Wars, I'm like, you know, 
I know we've got this poorly pitched thing going on, and I'm, I see some similarities between uh, between Saul and Anakin. I, I think I can twist this into a really solid poorly pitched. Are you saying that Saul's going to become <laughs> Darth Saul? Uh, he kind of did. <laughs> I mean, didn't we see the lightsaber? Yeah, that was Darth Saul enough. Did he ever get his donut shop? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> the drift space asking the deep questions. All right. So I think poorly pitched is now in my corner. Are you guys ready for it? Shoot. All right. It's short, but there's nothing untrue about it. A high school kid tries to impress a girl who likes him back and ends up winning her heart through a journey that reveals with great power comes great responsibility. Oh, my God. Perfect pitched. Am I faking out? Am I not? I don't know. Here we go. <laughs> I think I know, and it's not what you think. It will. It can't be what I think because it's too obvious. I, 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 I think I do, and oh no! We'll roll no. it next week. We'll roll it next time. We'll roll it next time. So wait a minute. What happens if one of us actually gets this right? You get bragging points. All right. You have to edit. Keep <laughs> 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 I'm wrong. Please be wrong. Please be wrong. <laughs> or you get to pick who edits. <laughs> Okay, I think it's time for Fanboy 50, and I'm going to discuss what I discussed a little earlier about uh, Avatar The Last Airbender. So, entrare. Here I go. On your mark. Get set. Go. Avatar The Last Airbender takes place in a world that consists of four nations, Air Nomads, Water Tribe, Earth Kingdom, and Fire Nation. However, the Fire Nation has issued a war against the other nations that has been going on for hundreds of years, and only the Avatar, the master of all four elements, is a 12-year... 12-year-old airbender named Aang, and he's the last of his kind, hence the title. Together with Katara, waterbender, and her brother Sokka, Aang has to learn and master the three other elements to put a stop to the war once and for all, and bring balance to among the four nations. This kid show is about children being thrown into a wo- world of war, genocide, survival, hard choices, soul-searching, and it's on Nickelodeon. It has, it has three seasons, and its sequel to the series The Legend of Korra it is just as incredible and a bit darker and more in-depth. In my opinion... Out, but no, nowhere near the original. The animation is gorgeous. <laughs> Did you breathe? <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> A little lightheaded there. Who's ready to go next? I'll go. Um, mine's not as quite as uh, breathless, but I'll go. <laughs> okay, Jr. To your mark, set, go. So we've been listing out some podcasts that uh, we like and we've been listening to. Recently, I came across one called Up and Vanished. If you guys are into murder mysteries, I highly recommend this. The guy's name is Payne Lindsay. He's from Atlanta. And the reason I fell in love with him is because he's actually a film expert or not expert uh, filmmaker. He covers this in great detail and he actually helps solve the case because of this podcast later on in the show he actually makes this podcast into a tv show which has uh gone on to oxygen and he's gone on to cover a few more cases since then but because of this one it's uh scene we're really hitting the edge here this time around dave would you like to go sure (laughs) all right here we go runner to your mark because you're the only runner here runner to your mark set go so i'm going to start off with alan dean foster who actually ended up writing the story that would eventually be adapted for the screenplay that we got in star trek the motion picture and what i really loved about alan dean foster was that he actually wrote the very first star wars book that i ever read which was splinter of the mind's eye so hbo max is coming out soon and WB has confirmed plans for DC shows on HBO Max. And we're going to be getting these big budget shows. Berlanti, who is responsible for everything that we got on the CW, the Berlantiverse, your Arrows, your Flashes, your Supergirls, your Batwomans, your Legends of Tomorrows. He'll be producing Green Lantern. J.J. Abrams and Bad Robot is going to be ju- doing Justice League Dark. And of course, hashtag release the Snyder Cut is coming our way. Heck yes. And uh, we also... Mm. Wait, TJ <laughs> Abrams is doing Dark Justice? Justice League Dark, yeah. 
<laughs> Real quick, have you guys watched that movie? Justice League Dark? No. You need to watch Justice League Dark Apocalypse War. Oh my gosh! I've heard I've heard wonderful things. It's amazing. I really want to see it. <laughs> it's probably it's probably one of the better DC animated movies I've seen in a very long time. Well, my birthday's coming up soon. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> okay, G. I've got a timer already. Okay, G. Are you ready? Yes, I am. I'm ready to go. Wonderful. I'm delighted to hear that you're ready to go. Yeah. All right. On your mark. Get set. Go. All right. So I recently finished. Final Fantasy VII Remake. I'm not going to give any spoilers right now because Rebecca has not played the original game or the new one, but I am looking forward to talking about it with her soon. Uh, very recently, it was a, CBS announced that they were going to greenlight Star Trek Strange New Worlds, which will star Anson Mount as Captain Pike. Uh, during the first five years, Captain Pike was uh, in command of the Enterprise before Kirk took over. This is spinning off the season two of Star Trek Discovery, uh, the season where he basically saved that show, along with Ethan Peck, who will play Spock, and Rebecca Romaine, who will play number one. Uh, Rebecca Romaine's best known for Mystique in the X-Men movies, but she uh, is time. Ah, mother. Okay. (laughs) He was going to finish up by saying this time she's actually wearing clothes. She is. <laughs> she was in Discovery season two, so so there we go. So should we should we wrap things up here? Uh, real quick, can I do a, a pod plug? Absolutely. So speaking of Trek, not only in your fanboy fifty G, but also just our general topic for the day, I wanted to <laughs> briefly give a shout out to uh, one of the other Trek pods that I've been listening to lately, and that's the Nerd Trek podcast. Jeff, David, and Phil bring us some great Trek talk here. It's got entertaining banter, fun discussion, and they've all got really solid chemistry that makes for a really great show. I've been really enjoying running through their catalog. And the premise of their show is they basically go episode by episode throughout all of Star Trek. And right now, they are currently in the original series, and in their latest episode, they covered The Empath. And I've really been enjoying them, and I just wanted to plug them on our show because I appreciate them for also putting out great Star Trek content. Wow. They're going through every episode? They are. They're in season three currently of the original series. More oh. power to them. Yeah, that is impressive. That's, I, that's an undertaking. I look forward to listening to that. Thanks for plugging that, man. They're really, really good. But yeah, you can check them out on Twitter as well. Make sure that you give them a follow. They're at Nerd Trek Podcast. And we'll also put them in our show notes as well for easy reference. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to have to check them out. So by the tail end of uh, Star Trek The Motion Picture, the gorgeous Enterprise goes to warp. Jerry Goldsmith's incredible score brings the movie to a pulse-pounding inclusion. And the following text appears on screen. The Humid Adventure is just beginning. Now, I'm not sure what the filmmakers had in mind when they put that text into the final cut, but after 13 movies and nine TV series spanning almost 800 episodes with four more TV series on the way, it really was just the beginning of something big and incredible. Uh, Love it or hate it, the franchise was reborn with this movie, and ever since then, new, uh, let's go with generations, have been exposed to these strange new worlds, yet all with relatable characters and scenarios. And so as we as we plow through future Trek films, uh, it's just beginning for us on the drift space as well. And the next time we board the Enterprise, it will be one of my all-time favorites. Thanks for all of you for joining us on our discussion of Star Trek The Motion Picture. Uh, if you want to know where else to find us, you can find me on G-Man on Sci-Fi on Twitter. I'm Dave, and I also do another geek pod with my fiance called Pizza and Parsecs, where we also just geek out on things we love. And you can check us out on bit.ly backslash links PNP or on www.pizzaandparsecs.com. We're on all major podcasting platforms, and you can also hit us up on our socials at Pizza and Parsecs. And I'm JR. You can follow me at Little Man Cosplay, where I just do whatever I fancy. Sometimes I'm Slytherin, sometimes I'm Deadpool. Who knows? Or both. Or both. <laughs> That's actually a good idea. <laughs> I might do that. And I'm Rebecca. Get your notepads out, because I got a lot. You can find me and my artwork on bit.ly slash rebhudge at DeviantArt, Rebecca Hudgens, all one word, 
Instagram, Rebecca Hudgens Artist, Twitter, at Reb Hudge. And we are The Drift Space. You can check out our show on bit.ly slash tdslinks, where you can find us all on your favorite podcatchers. If you like what you've heard, share it with a friend. Then you both can hit us up on our socials at The Drift Space. Geek out with us or just say, hey, we'd love to hear from you. And as always, thank you so much for listening and for your support. Stay with us next time. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Bye.